All right, well, let's just get started with phone calls, and uh, Richard's still the only one up there, so good morning, Richard. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I have uh, two questions for you, so hopefully we have some time. Absolutely. So the first one is I've, I follow your uh, program and I've listened to some of your seminars around vegetable gardening. And so I probably either missed it or not heard you talk about it, but um, wanted to get your thoughts on mulching uh, vegetable beds, like raised beds. And if, and if it would be appropriate, what kind of mulch you'd recommend? Well, mulching does a lot of different things, uh, and in the vegetable garden, they are all good. There are places, plants that really don't like to have so much moisture that mulching may not be such a good idea. But in the vegetable garden, I think it's always a good idea. The things that mulches do, uh, of course, they suppress weeds. They keep the soil warmer in the winter, a little bit cooler in the summer. They slowly feed things is not really a significant source of nutrients but as the mulches break down uh, they do put some nutrient back in the soil so you know all those things are good now <clears throat> i guess if there are any negatives uh, they can be a place for insects like pill bugs to hide i don't like things you know just mounded up around the stems especially things like squash uh, and i guess pill bugs and to some extent squash bugs and uh you know, snails and slugs can be an issue, but uh, uh, I think mulches are fine in the garden. I I like either a living mulch, which means it has some compost mixed in with it, or actually just using straight compost as a mulch, because by definition, mulches are things which are put on top of the soil uh, for things I just mentioned. Now, in addition, of course, there are plastic mulches. There are uh, just, you know, ground-up tree trimmings and things like that. I'm not a big fan of plastic. They do that a lot in California, mainly to keep strawberries and things like that up off the ground. But um, I think, you know, just like I say, ground-up tree trimmings and things are fine. I just like the stuff that already has a little bit of good compost in it because it's going to stay up on the surface. The compost brings a lot of microbial life, you know, to the picture. And invariably, as you move from season to season, some of that mulch is going to get worked into the ground as you're planting. And I just don't like a lot of non-decomposed material beneath the surface of the soil where it steals nitrogen and other things from the soil in order to complete its breakdown process. So I like something as a mulch that has already done most of its decomposing, but uh, uh, it's... Uh, I think it's, you know, most efficient during the summer months when we tend to have high temperatures, lower rainfall. I think at that point it's pretty critical. Wintertime mulches, you know, they're it's a double-edged sword there because the mulches insulate the soil, and in that way they don't really keep the sun from warming it up. On the other hand, they keep it from getting just bitterly cold. So uh, the jury's kind of out on wintertime mulches, uh, and I'm not sure whether to tell you they're a really good idea i don't say they're really bad but i've never seen nearly as much benefit from wintertime mulching as i do from summertime mulching so um i guess that that's most of the basics what did i not tell you about mulches that you need to know <laughs> no that definitely answers um a lot of my question i guess my hesitation was it kind of hides um where you may be able to identify where problems may be in your soil. Right. I definitely wouldn't mound, and I, I'd definitely stay away from, like, the dive mulches. Yeah. I was just curious what kind of material, like a 
compost, uh, composted pine bark mulch or just normal mulch. But the big thing I think you're saying is don't mound it up and well, maybe don't, just a thin layer. Don't don't mound it up. And I also feel like it's important. I think mulches should be made from the materials in your area because you know where those mulches come from are basically plant material that is you know been been ground up been broken down perhaps been composted so i'm not a big fan of pine bark because <laughs> there are not many pine trees in the hill country there are a few of them out there but um i if you're going to look for a shredded material go to the brush dump uh, or if you're out in the, any of the surrounding counties most of them comal county i think basically gives it away uh, Kendall County, where I live, it's like $5 a truckload here in San Antonio. I'm not sure. I don't think they charge you much, if anything, to pick it up. But that's material that is collected from your own area, and therefore it's going to put the nutrients back into the soil that your plants need in this area. And so, you know, at, at this point, um, it just depends on how much money you want to spend, how good you want to go. I think the best mulch I've ever seen in a bag uh, was from Ladybug, and there's still a lot of it out there called Sylvan mulch, but I think you can make a very good mulch if you go get some of that basically free material. And if you know a tree trimmer, just tell them, hey, when you're, because they actually have, when they fill that truck up with uh, chippings from where they've done tree work, they actually have to pay to unload that truck at the places that are going to turn it into compost and charge you for it, which doesn't make sense to me but you know just if you got a tree trimmer fan tell them hey i want half truck of your mulch out here take and mix maybe one part compost uh oh six to ten parts of that tree trimming and you're gonna have a pretty darn good mulch to use wherever you want to use sure so one quick question about mulch and then this is my last question uh i live out here in comal county and uh-huh. I, I know about the, the program here i've actually donated to the, to the mulching program yes sir um i see a lot of bags in that mulch do you, do you not have any concerns with that because it's essentially just paper anyways right if it's paper bags no paper these days paper uh, bags, yes yeah um most of the things that are printed are printed with soy ink which is uh doesn't really have any negative qualities uh plastic yeah it's just kind of nasty material but i'm not really concerned that it's bringing in anything bad um if you have too much paper material in there uh, you can end up where it's kind of hard to get the water going through the mulch. And if you're watering with a hose or a sprinkler, that can be a concern. Now, I personally use pressure-compensated drip tubing, which is going to be underneath the mulch. So I'm not real concerned about whether the mulch uh, repels water, absorbs water, exactly what it does. But if you're still out there watering with the breaker nozzle on the end of a hose, you want to be sure that you're, that the water gets quickly through the mulch into the soil underneath if there is too much paper material in it i might be a little concerned about that but that's not a major concern and it's something you can pretty easily overcome that makes sense so i have one more question if you have time yes sir okay so um, i'm i'm aware of um some of the tree uh, the tree pruning practices root flare uh exposing that and so forth so regarding oak trees um I, why do some oak trees have like I, I have a neighbor that just kind of topped off his oak tree, and he just has suckers all over, like from the brute, from the base all mm-hmm. the way through. Uh, why do you see that on some oak trees, but some oak trees they're kind of bare? That's a great uh, question. And we're talking mainly live oaks in this case, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, the root, the suckering is a sign of stress. 
this is how a tree, not to give it conscious thought, but if the tree chemically senses that it is in trouble for whatever reason, it's going to put up some suckers. So if the big tree dies, you know, something else is going to grow on and replace the original tree. So when the um, root flare is covered, when we have a severe drought, when you have a lot of compaction to the soil, uh, anything that puts stress on the tree is going to uh, create a lot of root sprouts, and that can be improper pruning. Gosh, there, there's so many different things that will stress a tree, and live oaks have just been programmed over their evolutionary history to respond to stress by making root sprouts. And so, and, and this is not just on the ground. This this isn't the ones that come from the ground. This is to include the ones that would come like all the way through the the trunk of the tree yeah. up through the canopy. And that's the same thing. That that is okay. a stress okay. issue. A tree wants to have leaves anywhere that there's sunlight from the ground all the way up to the top of the tree. Now, if there's if the top of the tree is such a thick canopy that there's no sun gets through it, the tree will not produce many little interior. Uh, limb growth coming off the principal limbs, but when you've got these folks that, uh, and I don't want to be too critical, I mean, they're, they're trees that can do what they want to, but going through and stripping out all the little limbs up and down the trunks to expose these big old massive limbs and things, Maybe that's somebody's idea of good looking, but the tree is sitting there saying, hey, you know, it's like you're taking off my clothes when it's 30 degrees outside. (laughs) I like having those little leaves and limbs and things like that. And again, when the tree's in trouble, a tree that gets oak wilt, for instance, um, is and, and what oak wilt does, oak wilt is a vascular fungus that plugs up the little vessels that take water from the root system up to the top of the tree. That's what ultimately kills the tree. And when all of a sudden the tree is not getting moisture to the limbs that are up high, those limbs are going to start dying. The tree is going to respond as long as it still has any energy and any ability to move things at all. It's going to respond by putting out lots of lower growth where it does have the capacity to deliver the water uh, from the root system up to the top of the tree. So uh, sprouting up and down the tree, it's partly natural and it's partly a stress response. And it's, I mean, when you go out and you see, uh, uh, you go walk around around my property, you know, oak trees up and down my creek, oak trees up on my hills and things like that. I have very few sprouts up and down the trunks and very few sprouts from the base because those trees aren't in stress. Now, when we get a 2011, a super, super dry year, yeah, you're always going to have a few sprouts show up. But when you look around at the trees that are really producing that growth, both on the trunk or from the roots, those trees have been stressed one way or another. I had a big live oak, and this tree is probably 15 inches in diameter broke um and you know i don't really know why just a weak spot in the tree but this thing broke and fell over about four feet above the ground maybe 10 percent of it was still attached to the base of the tree and somehow that was enough to keep that broken top alive and it's still you know i've got a huge yard so it doesn't bother me that part of it is covered up by this tree that's lying on its side but i had never had uh, root sprouts in that area And all of a sudden, I've got, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of root sprouts coming up, a handful of which I've left to make, you know, nice young trees that are three inches in diameter now. But but all this sprouting is uh, is a stress response by the tree, I guess, to sum it up. 
Well, that makes a lot of sense, and I appreciate the info, Bob. As always, I appreciate um, and, your wisdom and perspective on it. And that last question. Oh, well, that was actually it. Oh, okay. But, um, I'm assuming you have other callers. If I not, have, have Jim and Rita and David waiting now, so I will move on to them. Richard, you get out and have a wonderful Easter weekend. Have a good weekend, Bob. Thank Thanks. you, sir. Bye. Jim's next. Good morning, Jim. Yes. How can I help you, see? Well, uh, it's my I'm first time calling, but I had a quick question uh, about uh, moss growing on the... Uh, Hello? Yeah, I'm here listening. Question yeah. about uh, moss. And moss. by the way, thank you for calling. <laughs> it's uh, Now, <laughs> when you say moss, are we talking the green fuzzy moss that you see sometimes on the ground? Or is it a different look to this material or that's growing? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just not. You know that those little fuzzy balls that okay. go on the tree? Right, limbs? right. People call that ball moss. In truth, it is ball a type moss. of bromeliad. It's not a moss at all. Uh, a bromeliad, and of course there are thousands of different kinds of bromeliads, but it's something that we call an epiphyte, and it is not a parasite. It's not taking anything away from the tree. Uh, it just in nature, it it grows by putting what serve for roots in that plant down just kind of into the crevices in the bark just to hang on. And as you probably noticed, it grows on telephone poles. It grows on power lines. Right. It grows anywhere up off the ground. And uh, that's simply its mode of growth. It has those uh, gray, uh, they're actually, the gray part is what are called scales on its leaves that absorb moisture out of the air and uh, it is truly an air plant, and that's another common name for them. They're not hurting your trees in any way. They've been there as long as uh, we've had trees in this part of the world. And people sometimes want to kill it. People want to pick it out of the trees. There are plenty of fly-by-night, you know, hack-whack-and-stack I don't want to even grace them with the word tree trimmers or tree butchers that want you to pay them tons of money to come in and pull it out of your trees. But it is basically totally harmless. It's just an interesting little bromeliad that likes living up in the trees. Well, it just seems like uh, some of the trees I've seen that have a lot of them Mm -hmm. almost replaces the leaves. And then it looks like, you know, just a big tree full of that. Well, you're you're a good observer, but what happens, you'll notice that you rarely see the bromeliads uh, way out at the end of the limbs. They like the ch- shadier interior portions of the tree where, and like you say, they can be a two-inch limb that is now six inches in diameter covered up with these things, but it's really the, li- the leaves left before the ball moss started growing. It wasn't the other way around. The ball moss hasn't suppressed or harmed the tree maybe it does create a little bit of additional shade but uh as the the leaves thin out just because if if they're not getting sunlight the tree has no use for them so a majestic old oak will be fairly open and the limbs will be fairly bare in the middle anyway and these little it's properly it's called talansia recurvatus is botanical name but it just says hey this looks like a nice place to hang out and the seeds blow in uh you'll see it most commonly on a tree with really rough bark because that way the seeds can get embedded in the bark and start growing you rarely see it on a smooth tree like a sycamore or something like that but uh if you don't like it 
pick it out. You can spray it with baking soda, although you kill it. To me, it looks worse dead than it does alive, but it is doing <laughs> no no harm to your trees. So don't let yeah, anybody yeah, don't let anybody lead you astray and take your money for getting rid of it because it's part of nature. And um, if you don't like it, get rid of it. If you don't object to it, uh, it's, it's, it's just one of nature's little curiosities. I I've always didn't want it to harm the tree. <laughs> no, sir, it's not going to harm the tree. I, I've been looking for years for a way to package this stuff and send it up to Chicago and and market it as a wonderful air plant you could hang in your window or something like that. And <laughs> people would probably buy it, but don't worry about your trees; they're doing fine whether or not they have the ball moss in them or not. Thank you, Bob. Jim, thank you for calling. Don't wait so long to do it again. All right, bye bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Read us next. Good morning, Rita. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. How are you doing today? Oh, it's just uh, (laughs) pretty damn early when that alarm goes off at 3.15. But, you know, other than that, it's just a wonderful, chilly morning. Well, I've got an alarm that barks Uh and barks and barks. I have one that that purrs. So, yeah, it's the same sort of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, real quick, um, organic fertilizers Mm -hmm. i know you recommend the magic essentials um landscape essentials landscape essentials i'm sorry um so over here where i live they sell the organic so i use esthoma Mm -hmm. has to grow and green uh green and grow yeah grow and green by medina our landscape essentials is something that Medina makes exclusively for us. Okay. They take their growing green, they add extra iron to it, they add extra humates to it, but uh, it's just a sort of an enhanced growing green. Growing green's a great fertilizer. Uh, Nature's Creation makes a uh, different base, an alfalfa base rather than a manure base. They call it uh, premium lawn food. Meister Grow makes one uh, they call Texas Tea. Uh, Espoma makes several different good ones. There, there are a a lot of good organic fertilizers on the market these days yeah. and i would have difficulty telling you one is a whole lot better from the other some of them are very basic this new viatrac fertilizer which is designed to be a low cost organic that farmers and people can use doesn't have all the added things that medina and uh you know nature's creation and espoma put into theirs but they're all good fertilizers okay well what i wanted to ask real quick i know we're coming up at six o'clock um, plants that bloom. Now, mm-hmm. do I use the growing green and espoma for blooming, or do I just use espoma for blooming plants? Well, that's and where I get confused. And then the bulbs, uh-huh. callas, amaryllis, caladiums. What what am I supposed to use that that's going to help them? Okay. Well, here's here's what you really need to know. The different things like phosphorus that enhance the flowering in plants, uh, a lack of those nutrients will keep something from flowering well, but an excess doesn't make it flower better. In other words, it's sort of an all-or-nothing thing. If you've got the nutrients that a plant needs to flower, uh, it's going to flower, and putting 10 times as much of that in there is not going to make it flower any better. So... 
you know, basically your your better fertilizers, be it Espoma's uh, Plant Tone, be uh-huh. it Medina's Growing Green, be it uh, Nature's Creation's Premium Lawn Food, that really is is what your plants need. Now, if your soil is deficient in phosphorus, is deficient in magnesium, is deficient in some of the other things that, you know, may inhibit flowering, then you're going to get a better result uh, from adding those. And uh, we took, we love uh, Moisture Grows product they call Rose Glow. So just like we had Medina enhance their best fertilizer to make one for us, we got uh, Maestro Grow to take their Rose Glow fertilizer add some additional things to it and so we call that color essentials and yes if you want the best possible diet for your plants i you know you can blend things like those two together is it absolutely necessary probably not and the longer you garden in an area the more you improve the soil the more you put back into the soil that you know People that use the synthetic stuff, they're depleting the soil every time they fertilize. They're putting something temporarily in, but taking out more than they put in. An organic gardener is building the soil, and the more you build that soil, the less you have to put into it to do a good job. So, you know, if you want a steak dinner, uh, mix the two of them together. It's the best that you would ever find. But if you're happy with a good hamburger, then just use one or the other, and your plants will will be, you know, probably 98% of their full potential. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, but, you know, all my uh, – I've got a lot of pots with uh-huh. flowering plants and stuff, so they're in the top great potting soils and right. stuff. So um, I was just a little, like, what am I doing incorrectly or correctly well um in pots yeah uh uh-huh what do i just get something with that high middle number you don't really need to worry about that high middle number your plants like i say uh, having an excess of phosphorus is not going to make them bloom any better now i will tell you in pots i prefer the liquid um the granular i prefer the granular in the ground because it lasts longer even though i do follow up sometimes with the liquid fertilizer but uh in in pots i'm almost a hundred percent uh unless i mix something in the soil at the time that i'm potting it uh i'm just going to rely on my liquid fertilizer my hester grow or one of the good espoma products or medina's uh new fish fertilizer i'm going to use about almost 100 percent liquids in the pots oh do you yeah Okay. Real quick, what do you feed cucumbers? Uh, I just work plenty growing green into the soil before I plant, follow it up with has to grow, and they do beautifully. Okay. All right. Well, that's what I need to know. Well, thank you, Rita.